You are listening to the Amodamar podcast. In this series, Amoda explores her essential teaching through conversation and excerpts from interviews and events. To find out more about events and to sign up for her newsletter, go to www.amodamar.com. Please subscribe, comment and share if this podcast moves you. And if you feel called to donate, please go to the website. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. Greetings and welcome to today's episode titled Movement as a Gateway to Presence. In this episode, Amoda is in conversation with Rebecca Hanscom, Director of the School of Ecstatic Movement in the UK. Together they're going to explore the body as a gateway to presence and the role of movement in the awakening process. Okay, so Rebecca, lovely to speak with you again. Uh, we go back a long way. Um, back when I was living in the UK, in England, um, we go back probably about 20 years or something, maybe 15, 20 years, something like that. So when um, I was actually, not many people know this, um, the, the, the founder of the School of Ecstatic Movement. And um, uh, at, at some point I handed the reins over to you and you're now the director of the School of Ecstatic Movement. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about um, what the School of Ecstatic Movement offers, and then we can dive into our conversation. Okay, great. It's lovely to be here, Amoda. And um, yeah, I'm always excited to share about the School of Ecstatic Movement. Um, Primarily, it is a place where people come to learn um, about stepping into sacred leadership through the process of um, transformation that is ecstatic awakening dance. And we've been um, running now for, I think, since 2007. So quite a long time, and um, yes, it's a way of coming into your body and finding your home there. So I think that's all I need to say right at the moment about that. Okay, I'm sure we can unpack that a little bit, and yeah. also its relevance to awakening um, and uh, you know the spiritual journey. Indeed. And you, as the founder of the School of Ecstatic Movement, um, what is your truth about this movement, ecstatic movement, any type of movement, really? So... Um... You're asking me what is the role of movement 
on the spiritual journey, on the transformational journey, on the awakening journey. Um, well, let's just backtrack a little bit. I mean, I, I used to teach this method. I, I know you've adapted it and perhaps expanded it um, or refined it. Um, when I was teaching it, I um, it was a way of coming into the body, as you said, um, becoming present in the body and because the movement, the, the the core of the movement is spontaneous, yeah, there's no set moves. It's very uh, free-flowing. It's spontaneous. It's uh, actually cathartic, yeah. Um, it was originally a way of uh, both coming into the body and um, Allowing stuck energy to move because emotional energy gets stuck in the body. Um, and so this was a very cathartic process. It was a way of moving energy, allowing energy to move and to release um, and so on. And, and, and I would say this is a very absolutely vital component in today's world where, where, where so much of our um, focus is in the head <laughs> yeah? um, and many people lost in thought and so on. Um, so really it was a moving meditation. Um, I mean, there's many levels to it as, as you know, Be- Rebecca, and I'm sure we're going to touch on, on some of those levels, um, the sort of transcendent level, the ecstatic level, and, you know, as well as the emotional catharsis. Um Perhaps where I am now, I mean, you might well ask, um, and perhaps listeners will ask, well, why aren't you teaching that anymore? Uh, and uh, yeah, I what's aren't you teaching anymore? <laughs> um, because I handed it over to you. Um, because um, not because I don't think it's a, a, an important aspect of, of the journey of integration, of inner alignment, of emotional release, of emptying the baggage, of opening the heart, of coming into a stillness that is at the core of all movement. All of that is vital. But Two things. One, one is that something happened to me uh, along the way, uh, a much deeper silence. Uh, you can call it what, what I call the awakening out of this, the, the, the dream of the separate self took place somewhere uh, on my personal path. And a deep silence um, revealed itself to me. And in that silence, all, 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 methods, all teaching actually fell away for me. And that's a very personal thing. So I had to really sit in that silence for a long time before the outward movement could reveal itself. And when I say outward movement, I mean the direction of, of my own life, of any anything that I might be offering again. Um, and actually, when when that movement took place again, which is a long time later, it didn't have the the, the movement teaching in it. 
um, which is when I handed the reins over to you. Um, And so, so, so now um, I do find that in speaking with, with many or working with many of the people that I work with now as, as a non-dual teacher, um, I do find that probably (laughs) movement would be very helpful, a, a helpful support system, not for everyone, but certainly for some individuals who may be less in touch with the direct felt sense, who may have a backlog of unexplored or unexpressed uh, emotions that are very difficult to get in touch with, in which case I would hand them right over to you, although you're across the ocean. So there is a place for this. Of course, there's a place for for this. But at the same time, yes, it's a fine line. At the same time, I, I have to say that when I was teaching the movement work, the ecstatic dance, whatever we want to call it, um, I used to call it ecstatic trance dance at the time, um, I found that, um, or I saw, certainly after my own personal awakening, I saw that many people were actually attached to the method mm-hmm. and to the cyclical nature of emotional catharsis. Mm-hmm. It's 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 it brings a lot of energy to the body it brings a lot of release to the body um it 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 brings a lot of uh well you know that ecstatic yeah ecstatic to stand outside of oneself to go beyond oneself it 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 and that can become i wouldn't call it addictive but it can become a blind spot where one needs to keep on returning to the process, to the method in order to know oneself beyond oneself. Mm. And so it's a fine line. Mm. Would you agree on that? Yeah, and I totally get that because there are people that just want to feel the experience of being in an ecstatic state. They want to you know, be in a group with other people going through that experience and everything else that goes with that, like um, how you dress, how you look, <laughs> what you eat, what music you listen to. And there, there can be very much that, that sort of thing going on. But actually what I've found over the years, because I've been doing it for so long now, I think I might have even been doing it almost as long as... <laughs> as you did, Amoda, that um, because my teaching's slightly changed, it's really, um, it doesn't seem quite to be about that anymore. And I attract many more people that are um, looking for that place of of stillness and, and just relieving the stress in order to be able to get there. And I suppose you could do it with any sort of movement and movement helps because it it manages to get you out of the way enough that you can drop into relaxation and meditation. And for me, definitely, that's that's why I continue to do it um, on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah, and, 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 and one of the... Um... 
one of the wonderful and I think probably central pillars of the teaching or the method that I would certainly incorporate if possible and when possible in some of my teaching now is the shaking meditation, yeah, mm. the kundalini, let's call it med- meditation, which is what it was originally called, mm. because it has no form to it. It has no, um, really no external expression in the form of movement and dance as the mind would like to you know, take ownership. Mm. It's totally an internal process with the eyes closed. It's an ancient Qigong uh, exercise. Um, it's one of the primary meditations, uh, active meditations of, of uh, Osho. Um, and as you and many of my listeners know, um, I was immersed in that for, for some time and uh, was a great opening and transformation for me. And so the Kundalini meditation or the shaking meditation, um, if we want to strip it of any connotations, is amazing. We, you know, eyes closed, standing still and just breathing, breathing in a circular fashion and allowing the spine to shake. And there is such stress release in that yeah mm-hmm. the nervous system that holds on to so much stress so much added agitation and uh all energies that get trapped in the nervous system in the spine uh, in the vertebra um in the muscular system just sort of falls away it's like a, sh- a tree shaking <laughs> in yeah. the wind and that is uh, I, I love that meditation. I, I, I love it. And it's a, a beautiful way to, to enter the inner silence, the inner stillness. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, there are some amazing aspects to, to the work um, when you take it, uh, you know, out of the context of coming together as a tribe or a community yeah. or a sense of building, which also has its place in society and in our personal lives. Um, it's, it's just not, uh, it wasn't relevant to, to, to what I'm offering now. And um, yeah. So tell me more, what else, <laughs> where else can we go with this conversation? Oh, I just, uh, um, we just finished actually yesterday a 21 day shake challenge and we had like 50 people joining in on that and and we really encouraged them to um you know we opened a little telegram group and asked people to post up their experiences not themselves shaking or anything weird like that but just their experiences and so many people, it's exactly what you were saying, were saying that they felt so much freer in their body, different tensions and stresses had left. And because they were doing it on, the, on their own effectively, um, they were getting lots of insights, maybe not so much during the shake, but definitely afterwards and feeling more calm and more relaxed for the rest of their day. And... Um, the shake is amazing. It's just such powerful medicine. So I, um, yeah, I encourage anyone to do the shake. And um, 
I think I one guess- of the one of one of the important aspects of of the shake um is is the breath yeah the the uh the circular breath the being present in the breath yeah because yeah. that's something that that is so um so many people are unconscious of <laughs> yeah yeah and that circular breathing technique is is something that we use throughout the actual dance, isn't it? Which is really powerful to align the body and align that kind of masculine, feminine energy within ourselves, um, which helps to just like totally calm down our brains and um, help us relax and release all those good neurotransmitters. Mm. So getting back to the breath, obviously breath is vital (laughs) uh, for being present and and coming into your aliveness. So tell us a little bit about the breath, Amoda. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me just put that into the context of, um, you know, as a a starting point, into the context of... uh, the 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 non-dual realization um which is really the 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 foundation of my teaching and i i just wanted to to sort of say that the reason that we're having this conversation um uh primarily is because in the non-dual arena and i'm not strictly a, a non-dual teacher i like to say i've gone beyond non-duality but it's certainly the foundation but but in that non-dual arena the body is not usually a conversation yeah mm-hmm. um because of the realization that i am not the body which is you know fundamentally true um uh, then, then the the body tends to be negated or given mm-hmm. no attention, and so on. So, really, that's that's why we're having this conversation. That yes, we go beyond identification with the body if we want true spiritual realization or freedom. Um, but the body also needs to be included, and and so this brings me to to the breath. <laughs> um, uh, it's like the breath is the the link, the bridge between body and no body, <laughs> yeah, between uh, the human and the divine, between me and God, between the personal and the and the absolute. It, it's a bridge, and um, like like I said a bit earlier, it's it's mostly an unconscious process. Well, well, it is because it's involuntary. It takes place on its own. But when we give no conscious attention to the breath, then the breath becomes very shallow. And it becomes really shallow because most people <laughs> in the unconscious state or the unaware state are caught up in their heads, caught up in thinking. And when we're caught up in thinking and we're caught up in doing, then the breath becomes very shallow. When the breath is very shallow, then we lose touch with our deeper knowing, our intuition, our gut instinct. Um, we lose touch with an inner alignment and an innate wholeness. Uh, 
We lose touch with an essential life force that that is the felt sense of presence, the I amness. Yeah, that very basic fact of beingness. We can't really know beingness until we're really present. And to be present, then there must be a full um, felt sense of being here, being alive, in order for us to go even deeper than that into the beingness that is not attached to body. (laughs) But yeah, the body and the breath are a a kind of bridge. Um, So the breath is really important. Um, and, uh, it's, it's also a reflection of the life death cycle. Let's call it the birth death cycle. (laughs) Like on every inhale, we take in life. On every exhale, we let go of life. So it's like the in-breath is the birth into existence, into manifestation, into individuation, into the, to, into the self that is here as this mind-body vehicle, as this expression. Mm-hmm. And then the exhale is the, is the dying into the emptiness, dying into the stillness, dying into the no body. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 a microcosm of an existential truth. Yeah. And again, once we become conscious of in-breath and out-breath, we sort of naturally come in touch with that existential truth. Yeah. So we stop being as caught up in the head. So, so the, the breath is, is, is a powerful gateway. And what would you say about the body as a, as a gateway? Well, the body is a gateway for precisely the same reason. Before we can come into deep presence, there is a necessity to be present. <laughs> no other way of saying it, in the body. The body is a, or, you know, the, the body in, in the sense of not its external form, but the body in its felt sense, yeah, the sensations, the feelings, where there's tension, where there's openness, where there's heaviness, where there's lightness, um, and so on and so on. The, the, the body is a is an external representation of the mind. They they go together. So where there's tension or agitation in the mind, then there is tension and agitation in the body, which gets locked in there when that 
when that habitual pattern of agitated mind becomes uh, sort of like a groove. Yeah. So then we experience tension in the in the body. Um, uh, the being lost in thought can, yeah, it. It, it it can it can numb us, yeah. There can be a numbness in the body where we don't actually really feel anything, <laughs> and in that numbness, that numbness might be a kind of um, cover up for where we don't want to feel. Maybe mm. it's some old hurt or some old grievance, and so on and so on. Very often around the heart area, the chest area, there's a lot of tightness and there's a lot of not feeling. It's kind of like rigid. And, you know, when we breathe and when we come into the body and we start to feel where that tightness is, where that tension is, when there's an energetic kind of opening of the heart, then we might get to to actually feel some of the the, the, the physical energy around the heart as well. Yeah, it's, it's both kind of an invisible energy and a visible energy. Yeah. So, so the body is definitely a, a, a gateway in that way. Um, and in that way, it gets included in the journey or process of awakening, true awakening, awakening out of the identification with me. So it's kind of an inclusion and then a going beyond. Exactly. That sounds, yes. Um, So can emotional catharsis, when we really get into this body movement, support the awakening process? Um. And does kind of movement and body work help with this? At what yes. stage? Yes. Again, I, 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 I think when, when, when there, when there is a lot of suppressed emotion, mm. yeah, uh, places that we have been afraid to 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 meet, to go to, um, maybe some. Uh, childhood trauma or uh, somewhere where we have a lot of fear, a fear of an emotion or a lot of judgment about an emotion. And that judgment might be unconscious. You know, there there might be uh, a well of sadness um, and yet sadness is taboo or grief. Grief is always, uh, is is often taboo or, or a kind of, uh, or maybe rage uh, that's been suppressed because we've been told not to be angry, that we've been told to be good, we have to behave ourselves and so on. Places where we haven't really let go, yeah, we haven't allowed the, the, the river of feeling, the river of emotion to just flow through us unimpeded. We've, we've kind of um, put, a, put a damper on it, put a put a, a, a kind of defense system against it. So there's a defendedness. Um, and, you, and then usually when we're triggered, it bursts out. <laughs> so, so these are emotions. An emotion is energy emotion that get locked into not just our psyche, 
yeah, our psychology, um, but also our physiology. And that's when catharsis is incredibly valuable. <laughs> yeah, getting in touch through movement or through body work, through breath work, to get in touch with those uh, darker, so so-called darker emotions, so that they can be released, so they can be brought to the surface. Um, so that's valuable. I mean, I, there is a direct way. I mean, I work directly in inviting that in people through dialogue, through inquiry, through awareness, so that it can it can go directly to that. But I think for some people, that directness is just too out of reach, in which case this is very supportive. And I know in my life, this has been my background. So I often come across people who say they've had a powerful awakening experience or a non-dual realization. And then there's all this stuff that comes up <laughs> and they're freaked out. You know, they're, they're frightened or they're confused. It's like, why is all this pain coming up now? Why are all these old memories coming up now? And sometimes that's a physical energy of, of incredible heat or involuntary movements or just emotions that seem to be dark and overpowering. And they're completely confused or um, despondent or depressed about the fact that there was this wonderful awakening, this freedom, this realization, and then all this personal stuff comes up. Well, that's where this kind of work that we're talking about, the body work, the movement work, the breath work, is incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. For me, this all happened prior to awakening, so it was kind of like... Um, emptying the vessel. It wasn't done consciously. I wasn't uh, on a path of awakening. I wasn't looking for a destination. It's just what the intelligence of, of life was uh, guiding me into it was a lot of release work because I held a lot of trauma from my childhood and a lot of stuff down feelings. Um, and I was totally out of touch with that. So it had to be you know, when, when, when the light, uh, <laughs> a little crack of light, uh, sort of opened up, it was like it came pouring through. And so I, I, I gave myself fully into a lot of breath work, a lot of movement work, a lot of body work, all the support that I could get to just untangle that, to unravel that, to allow it to be experienced, to be released in a safe way, in a safe container. And that was incredibly valuable. Because when awakening did happen on a on a on an existential level, um, it wasn't an experience that just came and went. Yeah. It became abiding, because the the vessel had been emptied. Mm -hmm. As much as a, a vessel can be, a mind body vehicle can be can be emptied, um, and and so it was kind of it had nothing else to stick to. There wasn't anything that came up that took me by surprise. So, but this work can also happen after awakening. There can be a profound awakening experience. And then, then it's a great time if something uh, overpowering or unexpected or old pain comes up. If there isn't the possibility to just be with it, 
to mm. sit with it, to meet it without further judgment, without further repression, which, which can happen. And that's possible, in which case you don't need any more support. But if you can't, because it's just too much, it's too, there's too much of it. There's too much baggage that comes up, or there is some kind of overlay of judgment on it, then it's valuable to do this kind of work. Mm. And I think what you're saying in part is that that having a a supportive structure around you, whether that is in body work or in, you know, um, talking and that direct dialogue so that you just can have your experience validated so that you don't feel quite so um, isolated with it because it can feel overwhelming otherwise. Yes, yes, to have that clear reflection that it's okay, that it's just as it should be, that there's a wonderful invitation from the very experience of old emotions coming up to to just allow, to forgive, to meet as it is, to be with, to not try and uh, push away and to not get caught up in that old trick of, of I, I've awakened and so nothing can touch me now. <laughs> um, and, and to have that reflected back by someone who's, who's walked that path already, whether it's through direct dialogue, through direct inquiry, um, the, you know, the presence of being with someone that's open as love, as love, or whether it has some kind of modality in it, like, um, you know, what we're talking about, some breath work, some movement therapy or body work, can all of that can facilitate um, a deeper allowing and flowing into the embodiment of awakening and not just an awakened experience that comes and goes. Fabulous. And do you think it's like having these expanded states of consciousness are important during awakening or realizing your true nature? Well, let me use that as a launch pad to um, perhaps, well, not perhaps, but definitely um, apart from certain childhood experiences, but the, 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 the very first uh, transcendent or expand transcendent experience or expanded state of consciousness that I experienced as an adult. Yeah, let's not talk about childhood because that's a little different. But as an adult, I experienced a transcendent exp- uh, uh, dimension when I started long distance running when I was at university a mm. um, long time ago in the 80s, um, 1980s. Um, I was a couch potato, right? I didn't like exercise. I didn't like sports. I had no interest whatsoever. Um, I didn't dance. I was very secluded and isolated. So as I went into my early 20s, I, I you know, I, I was like that. I, I, I didn't like any movement at all. Um, and, and then 
a number of synchronous um, occurrences, yeah, meetings, uh, a boyfriend I had. <laughs> uh, anyway, somehow I got uh, dragged into running and uh, dragged into it more and more um, until I was able to to run up to 20, 22 miles, um, which was pretty amazing for a couch potato. Um, and I experienced for the first time, because I was so stuck in self, I was so stuck in self-consciousness. I was so stuck in um, uh, being out of touch with any feeling whatsoever. I was so stuck in my head. I was an intellectual and academic that's why I wasn't interested in, in, in the body or in movement. And this long distance running took me out of that. It was the first glimpse. I had an experience of no self. I had an experience of not being trapped by ego, ego mm-hmm. self, me self, and that whole layered identity, that, which is all I knew. And it was divine. It was mystical. It was ecstatic. It was transcendent. It was beyond the beyond. Now, of course, when I came back after the afterglow, um, you know, disappeared, um, I was back to my me self, my ego self. But it's like the light bulb went on. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, an expanded state of consciousness whether we call it expanded or transcendent, an experience of a dimension that is beyond the the tight shell of me, can be a powerful catalyst. And for me, that became a catalyst. Initially, to look into the relationship between running, long distance running and any transcendent uh, experience. I mean, I knew it was a spiritual experience if if we want to use that language, although I had no other particular interest in spirituality, but it actually set me off on that path because it led me to transcendental meditation um, and, you know, so on and so on. So it was definitely a powerful catalyst um it's a doorway yeah mm. it's a doorway and i think that's what the ecstatic awakening dance or what i used to call ecstatic trance dance um provided it provide provided a doorway to experience a state that is beyond the tight shell of ego self, me self, mind self, and all my problems and so on. And it can then take us deeper. So it's a gateway. So yes, I think, and going back to our conversation earlier, I think getting attached to that experience becomes counterproductive. But to allow it to be a doorway is very, very powerful. And that's the same with any kind of shamanic experience or psychedelic experience. It can be a catalyst for for a a realization that you are not 
this body. You are not just this body. You are not just this mind. There is a whole dimension of the clear light of consciousness and expanded awareness and a sense of like oneness. That's what I experienced in the long distance running was I came back from that running with such a sense of at oneness with the totality. I wasn't disconnected anymore. Whereas prior to that experience, I just felt like this isolated, alienated little me. Yeah. And it's, it's having experience like that is, is something that you can never go back on in some ways. Once you've opened to that expansion once, you can't, you know, you can't un- feel that experience, I, I think. And so it's, it, it is a, a, an important step on that awakening. And would you say, where would you say, because obviously... I mean, I don't know, but I presume that you still you still do run often. <laughs> well, actually, I do, but not for the transcendent experience. Yes, <laughs> no, I realise. Um, but like, um, obviously, to keep your body working, to keep the energy flowing, all of those things. Where would you say the point is of like when it becomes like an addiction, and when it like when it's actually a useful tool to keep you in, in good health. I, yeah, I, I, I do run. I don't run the way that I used to in the sense I'm not doing 22 miles. I'm uh, not looking for any sort of transcendent or, uh, you know, endorphin high from it. Um, I do run and there's been long periods where I don't run. So it's very flexible now. I mean, there's been years um, more recently where I've done so much traveling in order to teach and so on that running has been very much in the background is something that I pick up and then put down. And, you know, the distances are much shorter. There's no pushing, if you like. There's no trying to to achieve any particular pace or or so on. Uh, neither is there any sort of agenda around fitness. I don't have a, a regime that in order to maintain a state of fitness. However, if we boil it down, I just love it. I love the freedom that the body has in in being able to run. It's it's the natural aspects of every animal. Uh, and, you know, and how many hours do we spend sitting? I mean, I spend a lot of time sitting at my desk um, and sitting and teaching and writing and so on. So I, I love I love it. So I do it, but I do it very in a very flexible way. There, yeah, I mean, it has to be there is a regularity to it. Otherwise, it'd be really difficult to pick it up again. So I do run. Um, and on a on a well-being level it certainly it just feels natural i guess there's an integration of mind body um you know mind and body that 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 it facilitates um i mean there's other forms of exercise as well that can, that do and i pick those up and put those down so i, I play with it now mm. um but it's not it's not like i have to I just love to, <laughs> to some degree, you know, and there's days where I don't and I take the dog for a long walk and 
so on and so on. But it 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 certainly um I find that there is a clarity and foundation of wellness and lightness mm-hmm. that comes from being in harmony with the body. The body loves to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And so there's a kind of lightness in that. I feel, I, yeah. And, and there's personally, I, I feel there's nothing worse feeling heavy i'm not talking about physical weight but mm. a sense of heaviness a sense of sluggishness um you know of course there can be tiredness there's tiredness if i travel or you know in all the erratic hours which i don't do much of anymore so of course and and even that is okay i mean i've been able to teach and be fully present in in in, in pretty horrendous um situations you know sleeping on chicago airport floor and things like that and then having to show up at the retreat the next day in in the full glory of being a spiritual teacher um uh but as a general as a general way of life um you know feeling sluggish or feeling heavy or feeling blocked in some way is something that uh actually doesn't happen anymore so the body whatever attention is given to the body is in support it's not for its own end it's in support of well for me anyway (laughs) it's in support of being able to be of service the more wellness and well-being and overall lightness on all levels of being mind, body, emotion, yeah, then the more I can serve, yeah, the more energy I have to be fully here. And Mm. there is much doing these days, yeah, I'm teaching a lot and so on and so on. Um, And so all of it is in support. And there's also an innate wisdom, an innate intelligence. The body has its own innate intelligence and so everything is guided by that it tells me when to move it tells me when to rest it tells me what to eat how to eat when to eat and so on so it's not overridden by the mind and any idea of having to follow any regimen or anything like that it's just the natural flow of what happens when because I suppose what you're saying is when you're in when you are in service to, you know, whatever that is, the greater picture or the greater unfoldment of something, your body is included in that, isn't it? Absolutely. Right relationship with with your body as well as everything else. Absolutely. I, you know, if if the body was completely. Uh, ignored and I don't see how it could be because like I said innate intelligence is is alive and present in everything yeah so even though I am not the body this body appears within Mm. (laughs) the no bodiness so it's ludicrous to 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 deny that um so Yeah, it's it's in support of this. It's included. There's no 
separation from that. Mm. And is that part of, is, is that negation of the body part of what is um, called spiritual bypassing? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, little dilemma. It's, it's, it's kind of quite a fine line, a, a razor's edge, where there isn't really an absolute answer to this. There are incredible, amazing teachers, both modern day, but mostly in the traditional realm. I mean, we can look at Chogyam Trumpa, who by all means was an alcoholic. Mm. Um, drank himself <laughs> to death. Um, there are other teachers that I, I won't name who 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 don't really have a concern about the wellness of the body. Either there is sickness there, or sickness arrives at some point, some illness, or uh, difficulty, or perhaps there's a there's a sort of uh, just just a sort of Attention is not given to that. And then the body has its own karma uh, or certain habits of eating and so on. I just, there's no concern for it. I know teachers who, who love sweet things. And so then that gives a tendency towards diabetes and then has its own impact. And yet the clarity of consciousness, the clarity of wisdom the the clear seeing the capacity to be a reflection the embodiment of true nature as love is not impeded by that mm. so i'm not saying it's it's a, it's an obstacle um there can be true realization and living as that love even when the body is in some way neglected or impaired or something. And at some point, this body will as well, it'll get old. <laughs> and who knows what might happen, but the certainly aging process will, 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 will take over in some ways. Um, and this is where the fine line is, the fine dance. In order to be truly of service, Certainly from my perspective, I can only speak about myself. I find it a holistic experience. Mm. In order for this mind-body vehicle to, to be a useful vessel, then all of it is included. Mm. Yeah. The, the, there isn't a separation in that. Mm. Yeah. And also, like I just said, there's an innate intelligence that is love that guides it. Mm. And I can't deny that. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't deny that. And this is the way it's guiding this vehicle. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a tricky question. It's a tricky question. Is there spiritual bypassing in those teachers? You know, and some of them are, you know, like I say, very uh, profound and uh, respected and um, 
you know, benevolent and valuable uh, teachers of our times and previous to our times, are there, is there an element of spiritual bypassing there mm-hmm. in negating the body? Or is it irrelevant? Or was it irrelevant? But we're now moving into a more holistic mm-hmm. uh, way of living that does bring this conversation. I mean, my whole teaching is based on the embodiment of awakening. In other words, the filtering in of awakened consciousness into every aspect of life. Yeah. And I can't see any area of life that should be negated or denied. Yeah, because it it feels to me like it's much more, like you say, holistic now than the teachings that are coming through now, especially yours, Amosia, is about you know, re- living in that right relationship with everything, isn't it? The body, yeah. the environment, you know, what you do in the world, um, how how you are in service. And it comes down to all aspects to do with the planet as well, because um, all of these things, when you're working in alignment with yourself, have their natural flow exactly like you said yes absolutely and everything uh everything every form every individuation every every everything that expresses and manifests itself as part of the human life the human experience this earthly experience um is held in the light of love, which means the way that we hold it, the way that we relate with it, the way that we meet it, and the way it speaks back to us, yeah, our capacity to listen. Um, all of it is imbued with this intelligence, and that's what guides it. Beautiful. I'm just sitting with that. I don't. Yes, I can feel that. Yes, I can feel that. Mm. That wonderful paradox of being in the body, but not of the body. Yeah, being fully present in the body. There's no denial, there's no bypassing. Whether there's pain or whether there's whether there's lightness, yeah, whether there's heaviness, whether there's lightness, whether however it is, right here in this body. And yet not deriving our identity from that. Yeah. I'm not bad because there's tension. I'm not, you know, good because there's lightness and well-being. It just is the way that it is. And in that isness, there is light. Yeah, there is light even in the tension. There is light even in the pain. There is light even in the suffering or illness. It's our ability to just simply be very tender, very open, 
very allowing of what is felt, of what is here. And that includes everything, physical, emotional, it's all one. And then somehow we are, we have gone beyond, we've gone beyond me as this body and deriving my identity from it. If it's perfect, then I'm then I'm worthy or good enough. And if it's imperfect, then there's something wrong with me. No, no, no. No more identity being derived. We've gone beyond. So in this way, the being fully present in the body becomes the gateway. The gateway to freedom. Gateway to love. Gateway to presence. So, Rebecca, perhaps this is a good place to <laughs> end our conversation for now. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I just feel really in my body, but not a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's been wonderful being able to connect with you today, Amanda. So, thank you for inviting me here um, to talk. Thank you. Thank you for joining me all the way from the British Isles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And uh, I wish you all the best with the good work that you're doing there in continuing the School of Ecstatic Movement and offering what you do in the way, the unique way that you do. Mm.